So, uh, so I'd like to start here. Uh, I think in pieces, just to keep this all in perspective, Donald spoke of concentration or the samadhi uh, last night, and um, today I'd really uh, like to play uh, with what is known as the fourth foundation of mindfulness, since we've gone through each one of them. And it really has to do with, uh, it's a huge subject, because it is dharma. And dharma in the sense that uh, part of it is just how the Buddha taught, uh, in the sense of the Four Noble Truths, the uh, what are called the universal characteristics that I'd like to talk about and the, um, the six sense doors and the five heaps, all this stuff. You know, there's kind of a list of stuff. But it's really helpful in essence that we see that uh, as we sit here, uh, there's actually the, these different uh, aspects uh, arise and that we can begin to somehow... Uh, you know, it's not so much make meaning out of it, but it, it begins to touch uh, some bit of between words and our experience. So I thought I would start with my poem, but I'm actually not going to. I decided that words are a big problem. So I, I'm going to read a little piece from Ann Landers here, which I always feel is, is you know, right to apropos, to our use of language because uh, so much of how we experience things is we actually make things up, you know, as we go along here. Whether it's true or not, that's a different story. But uh, so this is uh, an insurance company, and I haven't read this for years, for internal distribution. Uh, Ask a brief statement describing their particular accident. So the other car collided with mine without giving warning of its intentions. (laughs) I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. (laughs) The accident occurred when I was attempting to bring my car out of a skid by steering it into the other vehicle. (laughs) I like this one. I was driving my car out of the driveway in the usual manner when it was struck by the other car in the same place it had been struck several times before. (laughs) The telephone pole was approaching fast. (laughs) I was attempting to swerve out of its path (laughs) when it struck my front end. An invisible car came out of nowhere, (laughs) struck my vehicle, and vanished. Coming home, I drove into the wrong house, collided with a tree I don't have. (laughs) This is the last one. Okay. The indirect cause of this accident was a little guy in a small car with a big mouth. I know that's terrible, but anyway. So, now on a more serious note, um, 
so actually, oh, we do. We make up so much uh, about how we perceive uh, how things are. And so really, today what I'd like to talk about is this truth of the kind of universal, uh, what they call the universal characteristics, and also uh, that these characteristics uh, have subtle aspect to them, which to me really uh, is to understand them, uh, is to understand some of the underpinnings of uh, Dharma itself. So yesterday in the just with the rain, I had to write something just to sort of bring myself to this community and collective in some way that acknowledges the uh, what uh, the kind of the direction I was going. So I called it the Great Rain. The grand oaks, blades of grass, soil shriveled and empty of moisture. Waiting patiently without emotion, a day when the sky opened. Teardrops from the heavens quenching the earth's thirst. Everything opening so it can fully be in its aliveness. One moment's longing, another moment filled to the brim. Soil, trees, beyond enough so it races downhill, pulling all loose things down towards the mouth of this universal ocean. Low spots filled, the veins of the earth rushing down towards towards its own merging. A good day to see that nothing holds on, not for the minutest of time. Awake to every sense door, finding no home in them. Awake to every sense door, finding no home in them. Heart sinks as all contaminated stakes, states shake us. Our core finds no rest in this transient world of flowing by. This attempt to find ground, a solid me to hang my hat on. Was this just a trick, finding this inflated or maybe deflated mirage? Again, floating downstream, no winning or losing here. Just a heart bent towards ease, freedom close at hand. So a little way, a little story to start with. You know, this was uh, some years ago, not that many years ago, five, six years ago, I was in uh, Dharamsala and I was going to these this teacher, Gese Sonam Rinchen, and he heard that I taught, well, supposedly taught Dharma. So um, I question that still. But anyway, I came and I said, okay, we're, I was going to have this, this uh, my first interview with him. So I went into his, uh, he had a very small room, and he's a really a great scholar and uh, teacher and uh, uh, 
has translated and worked with many scholarly uh, works uh, in his tradition, uh, Gulupa tradition of the Dalai Lama, and uh, has been teaching there for, must be almost 30 years now, with the same translator who was an Oxford, she's an Oxford scholar who has stayed there in Dharamsala all these years uh, to uh, facilitate uh, the translating uh, of uh, some of the more, some of them esoteric and some of them not so esoteric texts from over the years. And so I went in and sat down and it was really a, his uh, cousin was his attendant and uh, she, and she was there as a translator. And uh, so the first thing is I came and I sat down and, and uh, Ruth, the translator, said, well, he, he, he has a question for you. And uh, he wants to know if you uh, teach uh, what he called the four seals. And um, so I, I sat there and I said, well, from my understanding of it, uh, uh, ex- this is exactly what is being taught. And uh, simply what they are is that uh, the first one is, uh, these are also known as the universal characteristics. All compounded things are impermanent. Okay. The second one is, all tainted or stained states are painful. All tainted or stained states are painful. All phenomena is empty. Nirvana is peace. Uh, those are the four things. And so I said, oh yes, I think I teach those. And he said, oh, well then we're the same. And uh, it was quite beautiful because uh, I didn't feel that way. But I could, uh, I could understand from his point of view that somehow uh, that uh, this is not, you know, uh, such a scholarly thing. This is a practice of a deep sense of getting how it works. You know, so these are called universal truths. You know, our universal characteristics is that they simply, that when our mind begins uh, to uh, tap in to our wholeness, that we begin this process of, uh, in a sense, a kind of a deconstruction process of uh, how we've looked at things. Now, you all know. And that was the thing when I first came to Buddhism, I remember, you know, sort of, uh, I don't know, I was, for some reason I was thinking about riding down the Khyber Pass on the top of this truck in uh, Afghanistan on my way to India. And um, it was really such a free feeling, you know. But in seeing that, uh, knowing that somehow all of this was changing. So there was a sense that I knew what impermanence was. And then walking into my first retreat, uh, Vipassana retreat, which was uh, six weeks, was uh, at each kind of level I began to see that, oh, I didn't know that. You know, was it not knowing or experiencing? And it was really the difference between uh, how my mind had constructed how things were and how my experiential sense of things is actually different. You know, 
knowing something and experiencing something are two different things. And one of the things we're doing here is uh, in our ability to uh, recognize uh, what it is that's occurring uh, in a moment-to-moment reality. And it takes a certain amount of collectedness, of course, the concentration or samadhi that Donald was talking about. Uh, And it has the results. And the results are very much, oh, not only do I know this in my mind, that I begin to recognize it as something that's true in experience. You know, and that's really what we're talking about here, is to know something true in your experience. You know. And it takes a long time. You know, this is not something that uh, you uh, simply, you know, you get it once uh, because the mind itself uh, has, in a sense, it's created uh, a, a sense of things. And the mind itself is so fascinating to me because it wants to look at things and its nature is that it wants to make it solid. You know, because then why? Why would it want to make it solid? Because it'll feel safe, you know, and you'll feel safe. And then you'll, if you feel safe, then, uh, then it's okay, you know. And so this is actually something different. Because it's actually saying, no, what we're doing here is looking at how, in a sense, from the mind itself, we pull the rug out from it over and over again. And we begin to start seeing that, oh, maybe I can't trust the solidity and the things I make up in my mind. You know, It may be different than what it appears to be. That's pretty cool. You know, it's pretty cool, you know. Because it begins to kind of shake up uh, the, you know, there's a little kid possibly, there's a a sense of, you know, um, wonder that happens. But in kind of solidifying ourselves and making ourselves into somebody, uh, we begin to, in a sense, uh, harden and create a world that's uh, quite solid, you know. So this is, in a sense, kind of a deconstruction process. Uh, that takes a very simple practice. And we need a certain amount of collectedness to do it. But then you begin to not just know it in uh, some sense of things, but in very much a visceral way. You know, oh, uh, this is not what it appears to be. That is the truth of the universal characteristic of impermanence. You know, Uh, All phenomenal things. Now, let's see if I can do this uh, without getting too complicated. You know, first of all, uh, the the Buddha simply said when he described a human being, you know, that he called it the skandhas or the, I like the word, the five heaps, you know. And the heaps are really simple in in some terminology of a kind of psychological uh, construction. And it was simply that, you know, you had a body, uh, you had this uh, truth about uh, kind of feeling of uh, being able to recognize pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, uh, that there was the ability to, uh, to actually perceive, to know something in its bare sense of things, you know, which was the third one. It's just this perception. 
And then the fourth one was uh, the constructions, uh, how we, volitional constructions. It means that we can recognize something through perception, you know, uh, through memory. But uh, then what do we do with it? You know, we make up the stories about things, you know, and that's how we do it, you know. And then there is uh, that that, in a sense, uh, goes along with it. It has to go along with these four things, and none of them you can separate out. And the fifth one, he just simply translated as uh, consciousness. So these five heaps or streams or, um, you know, uh, are the essence. Now, he didn't say there was anything, uh, there was no I or me or mine. It was just simply a way to look at a construction. Okay? So we have these as, uh, and these are part of kind of that, that um, fourth foundation of mindfulness are these uh, kind of, I like the word heaps, sounds good, you know. But you can't separate anything out. So these come as a package, you know. Sometimes I think of, uh, I like to think, of, well, what is this consciousness? How does it work in, in this terminology? And I like to think of it as uh, like there's a candle. And the candle appears to be a solid thing. But if you look really closely, you'll see that it's something that's reigniting itself uh, through uh, our sense doors. And so it appears solid, but if you look really close, which is exactly what you're doing here, you're looking really close. And you see that uh, every time uh, there's a moment where uh, you're seeing for a few moments and then you're hearing for a few moments and you're thinking and then you're, you know, I know you're all sitting there and, and, uh, you know, you hear a couple sentences of mine and then, you know, you scratch or, or, uh, you know, that makes you think about something else or, you know, maybe a little story you were playing before you came in to sit here. You know, we're incredibly... Uh, these creatures that are constantly uh, in what motion with everything through these sense doors, you know. Now, I want to kind of work on with this because in some ways, when you bring up those, this, the, in the sense of what he calls the five heaps or five streams or this collection uh, called human being. Uh, that also we are subject uh, to uh, the sense doors. You know, so you're sitting here, and uh, uh, there is that that's awake, aware, that simply goes to seeing, goes to hearing, uh, goes to these sense doors, is bouncing around continuously. You know, that's what it does. You know, and it never stays anywhere very long. You notice that. It sort of just goes and it stays there. Uh, even in your storytelling, um, you can get caught in, in, in story for a while, but always only for a while. And I think in my last talk, I talked about in the tradition, they talk about a bird on the, on the ship and that uh, it's way out to sea. And no matter what thought you have, in these uh, kind of six sense doors, the mind being one of them, the bird can fly off, but it has no place to land. 
So it always has to come back. You know, and it comes back and it's always, where does it land? You know. And so all we're doing is sitting here watching the bird take off and then in a moment it remembers and it comes back over and over and over again till we begin to see that there is a sense of, you know, sometimes the bird actually can just rest on the ship and not get caught up. No. But then again, it gets caught up. And the second of these, once it understands that this is universal truth, is that uh, that second one is that all tainted or stained states are painful. You know, and it's really the beginning of, in the sense, once we understand the impermanence of things, then we begin to see that any kind of clinging to any of it that happens, uh, we I think the word is we're dissatisfaction or suffering uh, that somehow. Um, we either try to grab a hold of it or try to push it away and it hurts. You know, we suffer uh, for for that truth, you know. And so it's just the way it is. It's kind of the beginning of the Four Noble Truths right there, you know. All tainted or stained states are painful. And I think you know exactly how this works. You know, uh, it's something that uh, in the sitting practice we begin to see the impermanence as a characteristic. Then we begin to recognize that um, liking or disliking, whether it's a story or a memory, uh, that somehow wherever that grasping is. Uh, that we are not free. You know, we are caught and that uh, we will suffer for it. You know. not, nothing, this is nothing you don't know. But it's actually uh, the repetition of it here of how you kind of clamp down or clutch onto things or push things away that uh, there is an intelligence uh, that is deeper. And it, it comes from that mindfulness that isn't going to hold it, but is actually, in a sense, um, it recognizes its nature. You know, and it knows the difference between a tainted or stained state and uh, what's open and free. You know the difference. And we play that here. So the third piece here is uh, this word anatta, or, you know, it's simply uh, you know, I, I think sometimes it's not worth describing because it's only on the experiential level that you can understand this. And I think a lot of times scholars get into, oh, well, there has to be some explanation of this idea that there is uh, not a solid self. But if you understand impermanence and you see the price of tainted states, then you're going to see, in essence, uh, that uh, there is a price here uh, for those tainted states. 
And uh, is this actually something uh, that you uh, somehow is something different than the impermanence or those tainted states? You know, and I think there's an ease or relaxation. I know for myself, one of the things, one of the retreats, first retreats I went to, I went, oh, you know, I don't particularly understand it. Uh, in the sense of the intellectual piece around the Atman or the this kind of some kind of belief in a solid self, but I really get it on a visceral level, and that's what we're doing here. We're getting it on a very visceral level that somehow, you know, uh, that what we know as a construction uh, is impermanent, and uh, it is not uh, sometimes what it appears to be. You know, so we began to actually back off of any kind of concept around it. And that it's true. Uh, let's not uh, try to fool ourselves in any way. That um, they talk about this as two truths. As one truth is there's a relative reality. My name is John. I'm a neurotic. I have all these conditions that come from my past uh, that are, in a sense, they're volitional pieces that uh, hold me in captivity. Okay, that's true. You know, but the other side of this is that there is uh, also the absolute. Uh, there is something that's bigger uh, that is about completely of the letting go process, and that we began to start trusting the letting go process more than the construction process. Do you follow? That's, it's a really important piece. You know? And that what we're doing here is we're seeing the result of the construction process and its nature and how it works and that there is uh, this capacity to soften, to ease up, to let go, uh, to not buy into it, not believe it, and that actually... Um, there's not a problem, you know. If the problem is that, you know, we're the problem in the sense of making it up. But in reality, uh, we can choose to either get caught up or we can choose this truth about freedom. So those are, really, this is the baseline of, uh, of Buddhist thought, you know. And that ultimately, when Geshe Sona Murnchen, when he said, oh, this is, uh, nirvana is peace, you know. And in some ways, um, you know, it's a, I, I don't want to get into the word, you know. Uh, what I want to point at is that uh, we teach freedom here. Uh, and freedom is not based on... Um, some kind of intellectual understanding. You know, it is uh, where we watch our operating systems and we actually begin to understand how it works in a fundamental basis. And then we start going deeper into it. And this is, now I'm just going to jump into this. This is called this, the subtle characteristics. And uh, I, I have to really say that I got this from Ajahn Amaro and it is a, to me kind of like the deepest fundamental teachings that we, that we can begin to explore here. 
And so when we start looking at impermanence, we start seeing that, oh, wait a minute, I don't believe everything that I see. I don't believe everything that I think. You know, I'm not so sure about my senses in the sense that, uh, can I trust them to be right? So what happens if you can't uh, kind of trust this, this, this sensual sphere that we're in, you know? And you, bega- you begin to say, well, here I am, I'm walking around and uh, I'm not actually in experience. I'm taking what we call language and I'm making up words to identify things, you know. And that identifying those things, uh, in essence, uh, is not the experience of it, you know. It is simply a close facsimile of what it is, but it's not the truth of it. And what we're doing here is trying to actually allow the truth to inform us. So we start this deconstruction process. You know, oh, well, if this is impermanent and uh, if I go to the left or if I go to the right, I'm going to, you know, it's going to not, you know, it's just going to cost me problems. So I'm just going to sit here in the center of this, you know, and what I have to do when I sit in the center of it is that in this deconstruction process, I've kind of break it down into uh, that it, nothing is substantial. And so if nothing is substantial... then you can ease up. You know, really, you can ease up and that uh, all that appears as words, all that appears at the sense doors uh, is substancelessness. It has no solid, separate identity. Okay? No separate identity. So suddenly we begin to see that in reality here, in reality, that uh, anything that I specifically try to separate out is empty of any inherent existence on its own. You know, and so you hear this word, and this is the subtle characteristic of the impermanence: is the word sunyata, which simply translates as emptiness. It's not, uh, you know, it's not what it appears it doesn't it's not it appears as something separate but from this point of view it's not something separate and so in that sense of it then and I know that (coughs) here is that even though it appears as a separate Entity. Uh, Our job here is actually, okay, this is the deconstruction. Uh, It may not be so. Well, if that's true, you know, and one of the things that that emptiness does to an object is it frees up the object. You know, 
So you're suddenly being able to let go of that, what appears to you, the object. Uh, you can let go of uh, the sense door that you experience it at. And also that that knows. You can let go in all those levels. And so really there are our six sense doors, these uh, six uh, sense uh, spheres, and the knowing of them. And suddenly we can just say, okay, it's not what it appears to be, and we can kind of let it go. And so in essence, we're saying no to things. And this is the tricky thing. We're saying it has no function or separate self. Or another way of saying it um, is that uh, instead of being a separate thing, which we designate it as, uh, it actually says that it uh, is all potential. I hope that this makes sense to you. That everything, uh, if it's not what it appears to be, then it's all potential. So emptiness is saying there is that everything has a full potential, you know, to be anything. You know. So, but in a sense, the emptiness kind of is a denial. It's saying no to something uh, and uh, frees it in some way. Now, we could st- stop there, except that it doesn't actually work like that, that we begin to recognize that. Then we also have to acknowledge, and this is actually from the subtlety of, of, of the uh, tainted states, that when we recognize them, uh, that they can be tainted states, but their subtle state is actually, can you guess what it is? There's actually the word is tatat, you know, tagata. It simply translates, one translates as emptiness and the other translates as suchness. Just the way it appears, you know? If you can't separate anything out, then it says, oh, wow, this is such a cool place. You know, if nothing is, can be separated out and I'm not doing anything with it, therefore I'm not tainted or in a stained state, I'm actually in just an open state here, then there, the suchness is actually saying yes to the universe. Oh, this is such a cool place. You know, I can't separate anything out from it and there's no me to do that. But it's just the way it is. Exactly the way it is. You know? And there is a tremendous amount of release there. You know, the same way that at moments that you have to go, oh, you know what? I have that story or that person, and I have to actually see that they inherently uh, are not what it appears to be. That story is not, that emotion is not what it appears to be. And therefore, uh, it's empty of any solid reality for me. And at the same time, it's exactly the way it is. You know, and can I find uh, some sense of, oh yes, this is, this is, uh, you know, the suchness of things. It's fine that it's like that, you know. So that's really the tainted states. And then you take that all really phenomena, you know, that self and everything, 
uh, uh, there is no solid core here. Okay. Uh, we'd like one, but it doesn't actually exist. So where do we go with that? You know. And the word is just as they have sunyata, it translates as emptiness. The tatat is suchness. And then the third of these is a, a word called atamayata, which I've read many translations, but it's simply the way I can understand it, is not there with the object. So it's really a state of uh, not to, you know. And so it just simply says this, you know, here. And that here doesn't separate out at all, you know. Uh, They also use the language of non-dual, not to, you know. But it means you're not going out to an object or trying to make something up about the object. You're simply uh, resting in the uh, nature of things or nature of your mind or however you want to put it. Uh, uh, I don't think that's so important. What's important is that we begin to recognize that uh, when we stop comparing or battling or imposing or being imposed on by the world and our, our thoughts around it, that the freedom exists. You know, it, it exists in this. You know, and so uh, when Sylvia was saying, you know, this idea of peace and ease, uh, it's the fundamentals here. You know, you're not going to correct everything. Uh, what you're going to do is learn, in essence, uh, how to really let go. That's the emptiness of things. How to appreciate how things are, the suchness of things. You know, And that when we don't separate out from things, and there's just this, that there is actually this nibbana, this sense of peace, uh, is your birthright. You, know? you always have had this when you have been able to deconstruct uh, the complexity of the world and yourself and how you think it is and all that and sit in a sense of ease. You know? And the ease is interesting because we would say, oh, well, what is that ease based on? You know? And the, based on that you are me and I am you and that as long as there is any suffering in the world... Uh, there is uh, a natural compassion that is there uh, not because of anything, but simply because when we've stopped the battle uh, in ourselves in some way, and I'm not saying the world, I'm just saying in ourselves, then how we look at it and how we walk through it uh, is a world that, uh, in essence, that you... Um, if there is a you, uh, has freed up from the relative view. You know? Doesn't sound like fun? You know? I mean, don't make it too complicated. You know, and of course I'm making it a little uh, complicated, but, you know, uh, in its 
that's why I said at the beginning, you know, it's, it gets, uh, this is somewhat complicated. But at the same time, when it comes down to the bare facts, the bare facts are that we get out of our way. And this, in essence, kind of there with the knowing. You know, there's something that knows. And um, we can begin to kind of release the manufacturing and our ideas and views about it. And um, in a sense, kind of drop out uh, of the uh, the complexity in some way, and relax. You know. So let's see. What do I want to do? <clears throat> so all compounded things are impermanent. All stained or tainted states are painful. All phenomena is empty. And nirvana is peace. Pretty simple, you know. The great rain. The grand oaks, blades of grass, soil shivered and empty of moisture. Waiting patiently without emotion. A day when the sky opened. Teardrops from the heavens quenching the earth's thirst. Everything opening so it can fully be in its aliveness. One moment longing, another moment filled to the brim. Soil, trees, beyond enough so it races downhill, pulling all loose things down towards the mouth of this universal ocean, low spots filled, the veins of the earth rushing down towards its own merging. A good day to see that nothing holds on, not for the minutest moment of time. Awake to every sense door, finding no home in them. Heart sinks as all contaminated states shake us. Our core finds no rest in this transient world of flowing by. This attempt to find ground, a solid me to hang my hat on. Was this just a trick? Finding this inflated or maybe deflated mirage? Again, floating downstream. No winning or losing here. Just a heart bent towards ease. Freedom close at hand.
So let's just sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.